welcome, it's your host Drew here at Culture Wars. Whether it's academia, the entertainment industry, the lamestream media, religion or politics, we will confront the left in all its lunacy here at Culture Wars. So, I've titled this episode, Lunacy of the Left. This is episode one of season two of Culture Wars. I've decided that I want to have every, about every three months, be a new season of Culture Wars. What country is this? I can't tell anymore. The regressive movement of transgenderism. The Democrat Party is undergoing a violent change, and do Biden and Kamala Harris have a mental disorder? All that and more on today's episode of Culture Wars. Okay, I know it's been a long time since I've done a podcast to show. But I've been trying to prepare for um, season two. A lot has transpired since I've done one. A lot has transpired, but and I understand there's so much in a news cycle nowadays and. And the news cycles go so, so fast. So you've probably already heard some of the headlines I'm going to discuss today. But this isn't primarily a news show. We do discuss the news, but I actually want us to take some time and process what's transpired. Transpired transpired before our very eyes. Okay, I want to start by making the premise that the left, the Democrat Party, has become so fanatical. They always project and try to project that the right-wingers are the ones that have become so fanatical and polarized. Us right-wingers haven't. It's them. So, this headline is from Breitbart. So, there's a controversy between uh, Jenna Ellis a senior legal advisor for President Donald Trump's re-election campaign. And if you don't, uh, if you haven't heard of her, you should check her out. She's, she's pro-faith, pro-family, pro-founding. You know, she's for, she's pro-everything we're for. So, 
she made a comment on Twitter about the Pennsylvania uh, Secretary of Health who is a transgender. In other words, a man pretending to be a woman. So Jenna Ellis on Twitter, she made a comment saying, this guy is making decisions about your health. And of course, this started a controversy. So the Democrat governor of Pennsylvania, Governor Tom Wolf, quickly retorted. And by the way, this Tom Wolf, governor of Pennsylvania, he's just another feckless politician. Another feckless leftist politician. He retorted to Jenna Ellis and whoever else needs to hear this. Misgendering a transgender person is hate speech and it's unacceptable. She retorted with a statement. Um... To be called a bigot for simply acknowledging scientific fact is both hilarious and tragic. The truth of biology shows that human beings are created immutably male and female. Yet in our post-truth society, the progressive leftists not only demand that we affirm patently false facts, but also demand we not offend people who insist on speaking their lies. Otherwise, we are called insensitive bigots and required to apologize. I won't apologize. Our Constitution still protects our fundamental God-given right to speak and affirm truth. And I'll continue to stand firm speaking and affirming truth. Okay, I need to slow down and explain some things more broadly now. Okay, so this is how fanatical the Democrat Party has become. It, it's now, to them, considered hate speech to call a guy that dresses like a woman, to call him a guy is now considered hate speech. What are the implications of this more broadly? The Democrat Party is undergoing a change. And it's not complete yet. I alluded to this in episode 4. 
of season one. This change that they're undergoing is being caused by the broader change that our electorate is undergoing. This election 2020, this cycle is the point where a shift is starting to happen. It's where the electorate is going from a majority of the electorate being constituted of the baby boomer generation to my generation being a majority of the electorate, the millennials. What this means in a narrower sense for the Democrat party is that for the percentage of millennials that vote Democrat, which is a majority of them, this is the new base of their party that they've got to pander to. And the millennials are, Democrat millennials are, for the most part, cultural Marxists. This isn't your mom and dad's Democrat party. These millennials aren't just Democrats like their parents, like a majority of their parents that were Democrats that wanted, you know, a bigger welfare state and stuff like that but we're still patriotic. In fact, I'm predicting, I'm gonna predict right now that Trump is probably going to win this election in a blowout. Let me give you my why. I said this change hasn't transpired completely yet. I still think for this election there are enough of those baby boomer Democrats that the Democrat Party has lurched too far left for them. I think stuff like this uh transgender, you know, misgendering. I think this kind of stuff is just gonna drive those baby boomer Democrats into the arms of Trump. There are other reasons too I think Trump is gonna have a blowout. I think in another four years though this change may be more completed. Okay, I want to discuss now uh, the pivot that the uh, Biden campaign has done in the last several weeks. Oh, my apologies. I mean, the 
Harris campaign with Joe Biden. As the campaign said, it's the it's the Harris campaign with Joe Biden. As if we didn't put two and two together already. I'm going to play a clip real quick. I do think that uh, this what you said was happening in Kenosha is a Rorschach test for the entire country. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. And so, unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days or 70 so, however many days. 68 days. 68 days. So it's not going to, the, the problem is not going to be fixed by then. But what they can do, and I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it. He's got to come out and talk about it. He's got to do a speech like Barack Obama did about race. He's got to come out and tell people that he is going to deal with the issue of police reform in this country and that what's happening now is happening under Donald Trump's watch and on Donald Trump's watch. And when he is the president, Kamala Harris is the vice president, then they will take care of this problem. But guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know, and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. And the Democrats tonight stuck with that, right? And they also stuck with the theme that you said, the coronavirus. You got coronavirus and you have Kenosha. Okay. That was your two elitist CNN hosts, Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo, saying that the Harris campaign needs to send out a statement distancing themselves from the riots. Get this. Not because of the toll it's taking on your on your cities, your property, your your uh, businesses. No, no, not because of the toll it's taking on you peasants, you rubes, but because it's a it's a losing issue in the polls for Democrats. This is why after several months the whole summer of the Harris campaign the Democrat party and the lamestream media doing nothing but supporting these riots now the Harris campaign is going to run on law and order? How can the Harris campaign run on law and order? That is my question for the second segment. I want to play a clip and then read a headline. This clip is of Trump 
responding to a question at uh, the recent ABC town hall hosted by Stephanopoulos. The next question comes from Alexander J. Floyd of Dallas, Pennsylvania. He voted for President Trump last time around. Hello, Mr. Trump. My question is actually about police reform and uh, how can we balance common sense police reform without sacrificing public safety in a, in a time when, you know, part of the country is calling to defund the police uh, and actively cheering when they're gunned down in the street yeah. and another part is tired of seeing the lawlessness. So we have a great senator named Tim Scott from South Carolina and he had a plan that was very much of a compromise plan but it was a plan that everybody pretty much agreed to a lot of Democrats agreed to it but they wouldn't vote for it and it was a really good it was a compromise of a lot of different factors and it didn't get done and it should have gotten done and it could still be out there it could still be resurrected very easily but they just didn't want to do it because I think the Democrats are viewing this as a political issue and I probably agree with them I think it's very bad for them because we're about law and order. We have to be about law and order. Otherwise, you're going to see your cities burn. And that's the way it is. If we can do a plan like Tim Scott's plan, which is uh, really, uh, it goes far enough, but it doesn't take the dignity away from our police. We have incredible people. They've been protecting us for a long time. I mean, we're here, and I feel very safe being in this room. These are great people. We can't take their dignity away. We have to let them be able to do what they do better than anybody else. So uh, I think we have to look at it that way. We have, to, we have to be very, very careful. Police are so afraid today that they do something slightly wrong, slightly wrong, and their pension's gone, their job's gone. Who knows what happens? Their life is ruined. Their wife or their husband will leave. The whole thing, it's a very scary thing to do. And then you look at safety. I mean, you look at that horrible human being that shot these two police cold blank right next just a disgusting and then ran off you look at that this is a very tough job and it's a very unsafe job it's a very dangerous job we have to give them back their dignity and we have to give them back respect these are great people for the most part there's always going to be a bad apple uh, in your business and my bit no matter what i mean there's going to be bad apples so we have to weed out the bad apples but we have to give we have to give the police back that, that strength that they had a short while ago and that they have in Republican cities, frankly, and states. But you take a look. This is a Democrat problem, George. I know you're a Democrat, but this is largely a Democrat problem. If you just take a look at the list, every Democrat city, almost, not all, but a lot of them, certainly in the top 25, even if you go to the top 50, almost every city is run by the Democrats. People don't respect our Mr. police, President, and they have to respect You them. promised four years ago at the, at the Republican convention, I'm going to restore law and order and in I this have, country. And I have, except but, in Democrat-run cities. Look, we have laws. We have to go by the laws. We can't move in the National Guard. I can call insurrection, but there's no reason to ever do that, even in a Portland case. We can't call in the National Guard unless we're requested by a governor. If a governor or a mayor is a Democrat, and they don't, like in Portland, we call them constantly. I just spoke to the governor yesterday because we're giving them relief on the fires. We're giving them a an emergency declaration. I said, Governor, let us go in and we'll clean up Portland so fast. In a half an hour, it'll be all right. 
and she's just torn by it. I don't understand the thinking, but they're torn by it. I have a lot of respect for the governor, frankly, the, in what happened in Minneapolis was pretty amazing. Unfortunately, this went on for a week or a week and a half before he allowed us to bring in the National Guard. When we brought in the National Guard, everything stopped, the crime was gone, meaning the whole thing. But by that time, a big portion of the city was burned down. We're talking about Minneapolis. In uh, Seattle, we let them know we're coming in. They took over a big chunk of the city. 20% of the city. We said, we're coming in. As soon as we said that, the police department went in and these other people were exhausted. But had we not said we're going in, we were ready to go in. We were going in the following morning. Uh, wherever you have a Democrat city, not in all cases, but if you look at the really troubled cities in our country, they're Democrat run, and that's Biden. They're weak. They're ineffective. President, you're president for those cities right now. Uh, I'm president, but I can only do what I'm allowed to do, George. I don't need insurrection. I don't need an insurrection act to take care of 250 anarchists. We can do that very easily with the National Guard. We proved that in Minneapolis. They came in after the city was burning. And the thing I don't really get is that the news media is saying, no, these are peaceful, these are peaceful. And right over the reporter was a CNN reporter, right over his shoulder, and you saw that, right over his shoulder, the city is burning. It looked like it was uh, Berlin during the war. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And he's trying to say, I don't know why the news media tries to make so light of it. These are not protests. These are far greater than protests. Now look, I actually want to... spend a little bit longer time on this segment on this point I am going to give some commentary on this clip but I'll do it after I read uh, several more headlines I want to read this Tiny story by the Washington Examiner. Um, Attorney General William Bard disheartened by Seattle Police Chief's resignation. Attorney General William Barr expressed his sadness following Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best's decision to resign on Tuesday. Best made the choice to step down amid protests related to police brutality and racial injustice. Her decision also comes as the Seattle City Council voted to cut the police force and her salary drastically. More on that. Uh, I want to read this, but more on that. I was disheartened to learn of the resignation of Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best, Barr said in a statement. Her leadership and demonstrated commitment to her oath of office reflected all that is good about America's law enforcement. Barr also praised Best on attempting to stand up to the mob violence during weeks of unrest in Seattle. Her example should be an inspiration to all who respect the rule of law and cherish safety and security in their communities, Barr said. This experience should be a lesson to state 
and local leaders about the real costs of irresponsible proposals to defund the police. Best was the first black woman to lead the city's police department. Okay. I have to go down a few rabbit trails here. I want to reread this paragraph. Best made the choice to step down amid protests related to police brutality and racial injustice. Her decision also comes as the Seattle City Council voted to cut the police force and her salary drastically. Okay, point number one. These protests had almost nothing to do with police brutality and racial injustice. And I can prove that. And look, for those of you who want to cry foul, I'm not saying that initially no grassroots disgust ever occurred over disparities or tribulations that the black community has had to endure. But what I am saying is that what happened in Seattle had almost nothing to do with that initial reaction. If the creation of Chaz really had anything to do with police brutality, then then how come one of the first things that one of the first acts of Chaz was to create a brutal police force. Because this has almost nothing to do with police brutality or racial injustice. It's about Marxism. And to still be describing these as protests... This is just irresponsible of the media. And I can't even describe these as riots anymore, let alone protests. What they are is homegrown terrorism. Just because it's not... Islamic totalitarianism that's the ideology that's driving this terrorism doesn't make it any less terrorism. This is terrorism of the Marxist brand. Anyways, my main point in reading this uh, story is... To demonstrate the difference 
between the Trump administration, Attorney General William Barr, praising our police and state and local leaders of Seattle who are dissing our police. You know, and remember this. This police chief, Carmen Best of Seattle, that stepped down, she was the city's first black woman to be the chief of police of Seattle. And this this from the party that allegedly defends both women and blacks. So these people aren't even progressive by their own standards. I want to play another clip. I really want to drive this point home. The clip is of Kaylee McEnany, the White House press secretary at a press briefing. Um, and then finally, one thing I want to leave you guys with is that 18 days ago, Mayor Ted Wheeler tweeted, what I saw last night in Portland was powerful in many ways. I listened, heard, and stood with protesters, and I saw what it means when the federal government unleashes paramilitary forces against its own people. Uh, he, in fact, called our federal agents paramilitary forces. And around this same time, our federal officers were facing rioters, barricading officers inside the courthouse, trapping officers inside, launching of commercial grade fireworks. A federal agent's hand was impaled by planted nails. Three officers were likely, uh, were at least temporarily, I should say, um, blinded when a laser uh, was put in their eyes. This has been an ongoing tactic by the rioters. Um, that was 18 days ago when Mayor Wheeler stood with the rioters um, and against the, quote, paramilitary forces. Um, but just four days ago, it appears Mayor Wheeler had a change of heart as uh, local officers took over the situation in Portland. And he now, I guess this is what he believes now, quote, when you commit arson with an accelerant in an attempt to burn down a building that is occupied by people who you have intentionally trapped inside, you are not demonstrating, you are attempting to commit murder. Uh, he could not be more right about that. It is a drastic change. It took him 73 days, I, I suppose, to come up with that realization. And what we're seeing in Portland with six nights in a row, riots being declared. On Wednesday, uh, you had some of these rioters shining lasers in officers' eyes, disable security cameras, broke windows, use boards to barricade the doors and start a fire with 20 sworn officers and civilian employees inside. Uh, this is unacceptable, and it um, is encouraging to see that the liberal mayor of Portland finally seems to realize that. Thank you, everyone. Couldn't have said it any better than that. It speaks for itself. I want to read one more 
headline. So this headline is from Red State. Um, says, so given that serious Trump trashing is a required daily activity on the set of MSNBC's Morning Joe, guests and regular contributors alike must bring their A-game if they even hope to compete with the Herculean efforts of Trump trashing hosts Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski. One such contributor on Tuesday's show um, Washington Post columnist and regular Eugene Robinson and man did Gene bring it. Um, Scarborough set the table for Robinson by playing off his equally Trump-loathing wife, Mika. Mika, I was thinking about asking Gene Robinson if he wanted to go on a road trip with me. Kind of maybe bring a video camera, do like a buddy movie, a documentary, Gene and Joe's Excellent Adventure. We could go up to Canada and then I realized... Um... Robinson feigned interruption. We can't, Joe, we can't. Scarborough wholeheartedly agreed. They don't want our types in Canada. Americans are not allowed to go there. After Robinson said, I know, Scarborough continued the demeaning shtick. But when, but then we were talking, Gene, about getting on a boat and going to the Bahamas because the Bahamas let anybody in let any American in with money, they'd even let me in. Then Gene, and then Gene, we can't even go to the Bahamas. Our money's not welcome there. I mean, seriously, did you ever think, Gene, in all of your years, that the United States would be in such poor condition, a third world condition when it came to health care and the government's handling of a pandemic, that we wouldn't be able to go to other countries? Robinson went straight for the gutter and said, It's just appalling and shocking, really, that we're in this position, but this is where we are. We are pariahs. We are, we are the s-hole country that nobody wants people from. That's us now. Okay, so I should have uh I should have uh introduced that headline better but basically that was a conversation a discourse between uh three MSNBC hosts and elitist hosts I might add and Basically, they were making a joke off of back when Trump said uh, certain countries in Africa were s-hole countries and everybody 
made it into a huge controversy, even though we know what he meant. Um, so, yeah. Basically, they're saying that on, with, with Trump running or governing the country now, we're the asshole country. So, I promise I'm gonna tie this segment up. But, I, so, I just want to say that for probably the first and one time in my life, I'd have to say I agree with these MSNBC hosts. Now, before you guys throw a tantrum, let me clarify my position. I want to tie this back into what Trump said when he was uh, speaking at the ABC town hall. And something I've been uh, meditating on lately is is you almost can't tell the difference anymore when you turn on the the news. And you see rioting. Any given day in any of America's big cities. And you almost can't tell the difference between this country and some foreign asshole country anymore. Where I would differ from the MSNBC hosts is it's not Trump's, um, Trump's not to blame. Because, and I'm tying this back into what Trump said at the ABC town hall. This is happening, like Trump said, only in Democrat cities. So, Really, it's these Democrat cities that are asshole cities now. I'm going to have more on this point.
I just want to tie up this segment that that the Harris campaign cannot run on law and order. When they can't run on law and order, when all of their parties' cities look like asshole cities because of the rioting, they can't run on law and order when the the mayor of the city of Portland where this rioting has been just day after day after day and it takes him 73 days to even to even acknowledge that it's rioting and just to really cement this point, I want to read an article for, or uh, another headline from Breitbart. It says, Harris urged supporters to donate to group pushing defunding police. It says, Senator Kamala Harris earlier this year urged supporters in the wake of protests over George Floyd's death to donate to a group pushing for the defunding of police. So this was earlier, when uh, before she had been uh, nominated for VP. Um, <laughs> Harris, who is now a former vice president, Joe Biden's running mate, took to social media in early June as protests over Floyd's death in Minneapolis. Police custody were ruling the nation. The senator asked supporters to chip in and donate to Minnesota Freedom Fund so it could help post bail for individuals arrested while protesting Floyd's death throughout the state. At the time, the group which opposes pre-trial detention and uses donations to pay bill fees, bail fees, I mean, was being flooded with contributions from celebrities and elected officials. Many of those donating were doing so as a show of solidarity with protesters. It is unclear, though, if Harris knew the full extent of the group's platform while calling for supporters to contribute financially. Just two days prior to Harris's request for donations, it announced the fund announced its support for defunding the police. We're going to need you to do better than vague promises of change, the group told Minnesota's governor upon the announcement that Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer accused of killing Floyd, was arrested. Defund the police, end money bail, rebuild our small black indigenous people of color-owned businesses. Since then, the group has become only more vocal about its support for defunding the police. It encouraged donations to reclaim the black, a Minneapolis-based advocacy organization calling for the city government to divest from law enforcement and commit to never again increase the police department's budget. As Breitbart News noted in May, at least 13 individuals employed by Biden's campaign also donated money to 
the fund in the wake of George Floyd's death, even though the campaign has denied the donations were coordinated through them. They do pose a problem, especially as Biden tries to convince voters he disagrees with more progressive elements in his party's platform that support defunding. The presumptive Democrat nominee said in a recent campaign event, I don't want to defund the police. I want to get police more money in order to deal with things they badly need, from access to community policing to social workers who can handle those god-awful problems that a cop has to have four degrees to handle. Neither Harris nor Biden returned requests for comment on this story. I want to return to a, the related point I was making uh, by reading a story from Zero Hedge. The point I want to make is when you turn on the TV nowadays with the constant rioting day after day after day you almost can't tell the difference between this and some war-torn foreign nation. This story is titled has America entered a new era of permanent civil unrest? In 2020, it seems like each new day brings more headlines about chaos on the streets of America. In the past, a night of chaos like that would have been the top headline in this country for days, but now it's just another riot which will soon fade from memory. Every single night there's more violence and the entire world is watching. In Portland, rioting has been a nightly occurrence for months straight. Um, there, now that we are getting close to the election, there's a strong possibility that a new wave of chaos could erupt in cities all over America at any time. I want to pause here. I am telling you, we are on the edge of a civil war. We are sitting on a cultural fuse and all we're waiting for is some spark. And I'm telling you, there will be bloodshed. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just telling you the facts. Barring an act of God, there will be a civil war. Proceeding with the story. Of course, if President Trump wins in November, or if the outcome is very closely contested, that will only add fuel to the fire. Um, 
Sadly, what we have experienced so far is just the tip of the iceberg, because much worse civil unrest is still on the horizon. So it makes sense why so many people are wanting to move away from the big cities at this point. If you are among those considering fleeing the major cities, I would encourage you to make your decision quickly. Things are only going to get crazier in the months ahead, and the longer you wait, the more difficult relocating will become. And that's the story. Harris. Talking about this is relevant. Kamala is the VP and this is relevant to talk about her because of Joe Biden's cognitive faculties or lack thereof. The reason I think that the party chose or anointed Kamala Harris to be the VP and I say the party chose because Joe Biden can't choose anything and so the party Joe Biden chose Kamala Harris and he's being run by the party and the party is being run by the mob but the reason they chose Kamala Harris is she has no foundation, standard, values, whatever you want to call it, except power. She's the kind that will sell her soul to whoever to acquire power. But I want to be clear. This Democrat party is the party of 1984. They will run her. They will not share their power with another. The party likes Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for the exact same reason. They can easily be led anywhere you want. 
Kamala Harris can easily be led anywhere from for the promise of power. This is demonstrated by the fact that she flip-flops on all positions to acquire power. Breitbart has a story on this titled Kamala Harris jailed nearly 2,000 people for marijuana offenses. Most of this has already come out during the Democrat primary debates. Tulsi Gabbard raised this during the debate, saying, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. Uh, the story... Uh, continues... Um... In September 2019, Harris released her own sweeping criminal justice reform plan, which remarkably promised to facilitate loans to socially and economically disadvantaged individuals in the marijuana industry and called for the end of mass incarceration. Uh, so it is past time to end the failed war on drugs, and it begins with legalizing marijuana, her plan stated, representing a monumental shift from her record as a prosecutor. Marijuana arrests account for over 50% of all drug arrests. Notably, Biden's official plan for black America includes decriminalizing the use of cannabis and automatically expunging all prior cannabis use convictions. It also calls to an end to end all incarceration for drug use alone and instead divert individuals to drug courts and treatment so she's flip-flopped on the issue of marijuana legalization she's also flip-flopped on uh her position on joe biden's prior policies she said uh, one of the Democratic primary debates, when Vice President Biden was in the United States Senate working with segregationists to oppose busing, which was the vehicle by which we would integrate America's public schools, I had been in the United States Senate at that time. Or she said, had I been in the United States Senate at that time, I would have been on the other side of the aisle. But what does she say about that now that she's his VP? I'll play a clip. You can uh, hear it for yourself in her own words. Important election in our lifetime. Well, from the from an outsider, 
um, who uh, d doesn't really know both of you very well, yeah. your relationship, which seems like a good one now, uh, really does bring home the, you know, the, 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 uh, the old phrase, politics makes for strange, uh, let's say, partnerships. Because in those debates, you landed haymakers on Joe Biden. I mean, they were, his teeth were like chiclets all over the stage. And now I believe you that you're fully supportive of him. How does that transition happen? How do you go from being such a passionate opponent on such bedrock principles for you? And, and now you guys seem to be pals. It was a debate. <laughs> Not everybody landed punches like you did, though. It I mean, was a debate. <laughs> so you don't mean it. It was a debate that the whole reason, literally, it was a debate. It was called a debate. I understand. Travel to the debate. There were journalists there covering the debate where there would be a debate of differences of opinion and issues. Okay. I am 1,000% right. supportive of Joe Biden, and I will, again, do everything I can to make sure he is elected. Okay, so one more thing before I conclude. Uh, there's this story in American Thinker, titled, We Haven't Seen Political Violence Like This in America Since the Civil War. Um, so, it says, emblematic of the outrageously overheated state of the public debate, um, much like ours today, was an incident that unfolded on the Senate floor in May 1856 on May 19th and 20th. S Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts delivered a lengthy speech entitled The Crime Against Kansas. In it, he resorted to lurid imagery to make his case, saying, not in any common lust for power did this uncommon tragedy have its origin. It is the rape of a virgin territory compelling it to the hateful embrace of slavery, and it may be clearly traced to a depraved longing for a new slave state, the hideous offspring of such a crime, in the hope of adding to the power of slavery in the national government. Sumner also mocked Senator Andrew Butler of South Carolina in terms that strongly hinted of widespread belief among abolitionists that slaveholders were primarily interested in their female slaves for sexual use. The senator from South Carolina has read many books of chivalry and believes himself a chivalrous knight with sentiments of honor and courage. Of course, he has chosen a mistress to whom he has made his vows and who, though ugly to others, is always lovely to him, though polluted in the sight of the world, is chaste in his sight. I mean, the harlot slavery. Rating America's president's details 
how Southern Honor was offended and Southern Honor would be avenged. On May 22nd, Congressman Preston Brooks of South Carolina, who was the cousin of uh, uh, Butler, entered the Senate chamber and made for Sumner's desk. He told the senator, Mr. Sumner, I have read your speech twice over carefully. It is a libel on South Carolina, and Mr. Butler, who is a relative of mine, he began beating Sumner over the head with a heavy wooden cane and did not stop when Sumner began bleeding profusely and knocked his desk loose from the floor. It was bolted down in an attempt to get away. Brooks didn't stop until he had broken his cane. He later recounted, I gave him about 30 first-rate stripes. Towards the last, he bellowed like a calf. I wore my cane out completely, but saved the head, which is gold. Both men were hailed as heroes. Southerners inundated Brooks with canes to celebrate his attack and replaced the one he had broken over Sumner's head. The cane was not the only thing that was broken. The Union was as well. Sound familiar? Um... I share this story because we are about one week away from election day and there is so much more that I wanted to share with you but it's been a it's been a busy few months for me the last few months um however this election rolls this is just going to be the beginning of this fight really because we are in a civil war because half of this country wants to govern by some form of whatever is left of the government that our founding fathers passed down to us and half of the country has no regard for that at all zero zilch a nation cannot be governed by the Constitution or any other laws if a nation is not, if those laws do not apply equally, equal justice under the law. 
We have got to fight to reinforce constitutionalism. In one week, we've got a choice coming up that could not be clearer. I know people say every year this is the most important election of our lives. But I do not apologize for saying that every year. And I'll say it again this year. This is the most important election of our lives. And it, each election will be as long as one whole party in this nation is hellbent on the path it's on. Which it has been for about a hundred years now in this nation. And God knows the Republican Party is about as do nothing of a party as you could get. And sometimes they're even part of the problem. But there is no, there's no comparing the two. And look, as for Trump, I don't agree with him on every position. I don't. But, let me tell you this. If Trump loses next week, you and I will cease to have a voice among the global governing elites which are almost exclusively communist totalitarians communism will be thrust upon us will be and we will be forced to choke it down And it's worse than that. If America, if we have everything plundered from us, a darkness will fall on this globe, the likes of which has never been seen before, I fear. I don't believe it on such a negative gloomy note, but I just want to impress upon you the choice